Hi, and welcome to the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. You are about to listen to one of my favorite conversations on this podcast so far. I get to chat with Dr. Karin Nordine, who is actually one of my coaches, and yes, coaches have coaches too. In this conversation, we talk about perfectionism, shame, the power of faking it, ever-changing body image trends, and so much more. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm Jillian, and each week I walk you through a topic to support a better relationship with food, your body, and yourself. Please make sure to hit subscribe, and if you enjoy this episode, pass it on. It is the best way to help people find these episodes, and who doesn't love a really good podcast recommendation? If you would like to learn more about the Bite Size Nutrition Coaching Programs or sign up for my free mindful eating mini course, you can do that at www.bitesize.es, which you'll also find linked in the show notes. And with that, let's get into today's conversation with Karen. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. I get so excited every time I get to talk to one of my internet friends on the podcast And today I get to talk to someone who is an internet friend and is also has been an internet coach for me, a virtual coach who I've worked with in kind of a few different capacities now and hope to continue working with in the future. And so I'm very excited to introduce you to Karin Nordine. And Karin, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do. Hello, I'm excited to chat with you. I think you're the first podcast I've been on, except for maybe one where the person said my name right, because <laughs> it's just so hard. Um, but yes, my name is Dr. Karin Nordine, technically, um, and I am a health behavior change expert. So I did a dissertation on mindset theory, and a lot of my work involves teaching people how to change their behavior, because that is really, really hard. And we're never really taught how to do it. It's just sort of expected that if you're like, quote, disciplined enough, you'll figure it out. Um, And that's like a whole load of bull crap. So um, I have a business called Body Brain Alliance. And what we do is, well, our mission is to bring compassion first change education to the lives and brains of 1 million people. So that's me. Amazing. Well, I... I absolutely love that. And I love, I learned so much from you and I'm going to continue learning so much from you. So let's jump in. One of the things that I absolutely love about the way that you approach change is that you talk a lot about frequency over consistency. And from the beginning of my coaching process, I've always been a proponent of something is better than nothing and really tried to work with the clients that I work with, which a lot of them are pretty perfectionistic, pretty all or nothing and, and work with them. on like, look, one little thing is going to be way more helpful for you than a million big things. If you just aim to do that little thing in the best of your capacity, as many times as you can, even if that's once. And so I love to hear the way that you kind of talk about frequency over consistency and why that is so important. Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about how consistency shows up in our field, which is, yeah, it's a whole other thing. So I want you to imagine that you have like an eight month old baby who hasn't walked yet. You're not sitting there with your baby being like, oh, you know what you should do? You should walk consistently. Like, I just can't wait until my baby walks consistently. Like no one is thinking that, right? But instead what we do is we're like, oh, I can't wait for my baby to take their first steps. And when that baby takes that first wobbly step and then falls over, we're immediately like, 
and we take the pictures and we send it to our friends and we post it on the internet. It's like the biggest day ever. Little Johnny took his first steps, right? And yet when we are trying to pick up a new behavior in our life, like let's say one of my goals for 2023 is to run a half marathon. So I need to start to run. All of a sudden it's like, oh, you know what? I need to run consistently. What? How does that make any sense to to go from, I want to, I'm not running at all to, okay, I'm going to try to run consistently. Makes no sense, right? But instead, what we need to go back to is first, we're going to focus on doing it once and we're going to celebrate. I went for my first run. It was amazing. I had a great time. I focused on how much I enjoyed it. And then we're going to focus on running more often. And it doesn't have to be at the same time of day. And it doesn't have to be on a specific day of the week or at a certain schedule, or like, you don't have to jump into a plan. And that's the stage where I'm at right now, where I'm just thinking about building a little bit of a base and going for a run more often, more frequently. And then eventually, if you're running frequently and you want to nudge yourself towards a more consistent schedule or follow a more quote, consistent plan, well, that's all fine and dandy. But most people want to skip that step. They fall into this perfectionistic mentality I'm not running consistently, so I, I'm not going to run at all. And like to go back to the baby example, if your baby didn't immediately start walking consistently, you wouldn't see that as a problem. You would just encourage that baby to walk more and more and more until eventually they were doing it all the time. So that's kind of my philosophy. Do it once, do it frequently. Then eventually we can talk about consistency. Yeah, I, I love that analogy and I think it's so incredibly helpful. And also because I like to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, I think you're going to appreciate, I think you appreciate that I is do. that I think people might be thinking as they hear this. And even I notice myself thinking this is like, yeah, but I'm an adult. I should be able to do all this stuff. And I think that this is what gets in the way a lot of the time is that should of like, well, especially when it comes to, to like nutrition or when it comes to things that we see as being quote unquote basic Mm -hmm. is we're like, well, I should be able to feed myself three meals a day, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so you telling yourself that you should be able to do it, is that helping you do it? And Mm -hmm. so when someone comes to you, because I imagine you hear this all the time with your clients, how do you approach that like should mentality? Yeah. So I will look them dead in the eye and I will ask them why, why should you be able to do it? And then they will say to me, well, because like It's just a basic thing. Okay, why? Why is it basic? What is basic about it? And usually what we uncover, like let's let's start with like the three meals a day situation, which is something that to be 100% honest is really freaking hard for me. And people see it as this basic behavior, but it's actually not basic at all. Because if you think about that is you enacting a set of behaviors multiple times, Every time you enact that set of behaviors, you have to anticipate obstacles. You have to make decisions. You have to evaluate the resources you have and the demands you have. You have to think about the merits and the, you know, the benefits of different things. And so there's so much that has to happen in order for you to basically, or like do the basic act of eating three meals a day. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's so funny because one of the things that I've been trying to show a little bit more on social media is the fact that like, I'm a freaking disaster as well. 
And like, it's a great day if we're getting like three regular meals on the table. But a lot of the time it's just like, huh, what can I throw in the air fryer? Because like, those are the set of behaviors that I can do on a regular basis. And I think that when, when we start looking at it from a perspective of like, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing one time and then I'm going to celebrate myself for it. I, I think as adults, sometimes that feels like false or it feels a little bit like, well, I'm faking it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know for myself, I remember reading, and I think you've talked about him before as well. Um, I remember reading Tiny Habits. Well, um, yes, BJ Fogg. And so he talks about like, we change when we feel good. We don't change when we feel bad. And mm-hmm. so we can actually provide that feeling of feeling good for ourselves. But we get stuck in this, like, but it feels fake. Like, it feels like I'm faking it. How do we get around that? How do we get ourselves to stop feeling like faking it, one, is a bad thing, mm-hmm. and two, like it's not worth it. So I think in terms of, you know, celebrating yourself and like improving those small little things, it it is going to feel fake. And it is fake because you are not genuinely in that moment that excited over it. But the way that we shift our mindset is we practice believing things that we aren't actually, that we don't actually believe. So you take like a belief that you want and you start acting accordance in that belief and it is going to feel fake. It is going to feel like you're acting. But eventually the version of you that you are now actually becomes that version. And then it's no longer going to feel fake anymore. But you have to do that sort of almost like method acting practice of being in that, that zone of fake. If you feel fake, if you feel like your choices don't feel like you, that means you're changing. Congratulations. Change is about being inconsistent with who you previously were. And it will always feel like you're being a fraud or something's weird, or you're faking it. If you're inconsistent, because the only, like you only feel authentic when you are repeating the same behavior patterns that you always have. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting when you put it like that. And I think that the way that I think about it is almost like, you know, those, it's almost like a flip book. You know, when you go those flip books that we had when we were kids and you would start and like each little page is a teeny, 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 tiny little change, but you get to the end of the flip book and all of a sudden it's a different person. Mm -hmm. And I was just having this conversation with a client today who is sort of at that point where they're starting to see, I am becoming a different person. Mm And that process, I think, I think, unfortunately, we get caught in the part of like, I'm not the person that I want to be yet, rather than like, I am becoming the person I want to be. And I know that you personally have been in a phase of like a lot of change, and you've been really, really open about that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, even though, you know, I think, I think you've talked about this on your podcast before. But when you're in that point where you're in the process of change, you're sort of maybe feeling a little bit resistant to that new person, but you're feeling like you're shedding the skin of that old person is like, how do you work yourself through that like sticking point? Yeah. So for me, I focus on what behavior can I do in this moment or in this day that is different than yesterday? Because that is how I stay attached and confident in the change that I'm making. So like, let's this year, for example, I'm becoming tidy, right? That was one of my resolutions for this year. If I am sitting around here 
impatient for the moment where I magically get to this like tidy version of myself. I'm not going to actually be focused on being in my body and being present and being in the day to day. But the, the change that I can see immediately that will give me that immediate sense of gratification that something is different is me behaving in a different way than I would have done 24 hours ago. And so one of the questions that I really encourage our clients to ask themselves is what can I do today that will be unexpected? What can I do today that will surprise myself that is a different decision than I would have made yesterday? And so if you almost zoom way in to the literal moment or the literal hour that you're living in, rather than backing out and being like, oh, I know this change is coming. That can be very comforting in that moment because we want to see change. We want to have that immediate gratification. We want to know that something's happening. And so if we focus on behavior, we can actually make something change in that moment, in that specific day. And that can give us a sense of peace. Yeah. Can So you focus on behavior change, which you're very skilled at. You've helped me change my behavior. And you've actually helped me become just a lot more curious about why I do the things that I do and how I do the things that I do and how I've developed certain behaviors and, and, and really become, you know, it's funny because I had a therapist once be like, you know what? You're not all or nothing in your nutrition and fitness because you've worked on it a lot. And it's true. I put a lot of work into not being all or nothing in my, in my health and fitness. It's literally what I do, but She's like, I don't think you realize this, but you're very all or nothing in, in other areas of your life. Yeah. And it's been really interesting over the last couple of years, sort of seeing how being aware of the fact that that exists in my life, I've been able to sort of observe the ways that I can start to challenge that and change that. Mm-hmm. And one of, one of the things that I think really holds people up, and I see this a lot with my clients is the inability to identify when we are in that all or nothing state or that all or nothing mindset. For someone that is in that point where they're like, okay, I'm in the process of changing my behavior. I'm doing okay in some areas of my life. But I think there's also a lot of people that are like, but I'm an all or nothing person or, mm-hmm. or I maybe don't realize I'm an all or nothing person. Mm-hmm. How do we start realizing or noticing or observing in those moments so that we can start shifting away from the black or the and the white? So number one is I would caution you against using like, I'm an all or nothing person, because what that is, is it's a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. And we know that all or nothing tendencies can be um, what we call adaptive means, which means that like in childhood or early in life, it actually was protective for you to be all or nothing for some, some reason or another. And that doesn't always have to be like, you know, big T trauma. It can just be like the way you were raised, you got more praise if you were very, very perfectionistic about things. So I would, I would spend a little bit of time. And this is a great thing to talk about with a therapist, like looking at your childhood and looking at the patterns and figuring out like, how did it benefit me to make these all or nothing decisions or to be this way? right? So that you at least know where it is coming from. And then the second part I would say is that it is not necessarily about always having awareness and shooting for always having awareness is another example of all or nothing, right? It's about whenever you notice it, can you redirect? Because the more that you heighten that awareness, then you'll be able to make an adjustment and then you'll be more aware the next time. Um, the other thing that I would say is that 
this is why working with a coach is so important. And if working with a coach is not like in your budget, like this is why having a friend on board or asking your partner or getting social support involved is really important. Because even with me, like I I know more about this stuff than like 95% of the other people on this planet. But my boyfriend looked at me two weeks ago and was like, yeah, you're really all or nothing about going to the gym at night. And I was like, 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 I'm not all or nothing. I'm a PhD. Like, this is not. And, and of course, when I reflected further, he, he was absolutely right. Like, I had this weird mentality that if I didn't go at like 5 or 6 p.m., that it was like too late and that I couldn't go at all. And that I like, I just had, and that was not true. Or that like, if I didn't go to the gym, I couldn't do a workout at home. And so that was actually about two months ago. Um, not a couple of weeks ago, but like even acknowledging that I started to pick up on it. So asking a coach or asking someone else in your life, like, where do you notice you're, you're not going to see yourself clearly. Like we're not going to see our own lives. Clearly that's that's being a human. And so having an outside perspective is really crucial. Yeah. I think having a coach to help you hold up that mirror and also offer tools to help you continue to hold up that mirror for yourself, or even like, I can't tell you how many times my best friend and I will sort of exchange advice. And it's like, this is the advice that I need to hear, but I'm going to give it to you so that me externalizing it can sort of like help me adjust my own behavior there's a lot of shame behind not doing the things that we feel like we should be doing. And that often keeps us from talking about them. And one of the things that I remember when I first started, so I I probably mentioned Brene Brown on like half the episodes of my podcast, (laughs) Uh, like very easily. And all of my clients are like, yeah, will you shut up about Brene Brown, please? But one of the things that really struck me when I first started reading Brene Brown, which was at a point in my life where I was like, Uh, I thought I was self-aware, but like it was partly just because I couldn't even be vulnerable and open towards myself. And one of the things that I remember reading was like shame, shame festers in the dark or like shame grows in the dark. And so bringing it into the light can help make these things that we feel ashamed about so much easier. And I know, you know, I work with a lot of individuals that are trying to become more flexible in their nutrition, trying to understand like how they can take care of themselves without having to follow some strict set of rules. You work with a lot of individuals that are trying to change the way that they do a ton of different behaviors Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of shame there. And Mm -hmm. so how do you see like the connection with a coach or connection with someone else bring that shame into the light or some ways that, gosh, there's so much we can say about shame. Well, here's what I will say is that when you are holding it into yourself, like when you're struggling with a behavior and you're like, this is so basic, like I should be able to do this. You're essentially not giving yourself a strategy. So you're like, I am at point A, I want to be at point B, but there's no roadmap. And there's no desire to create a roadmap because in order to create a roadmap, you'd have to leave your garage and actually be on the road. And that's like involving everybody else, right? And so the second that you involve a coach, you have a person who you know is dedicated, who is on your side, and you can tell them about your very real problems. And you have a person who like you've literally hired to like listen to you talk about these things. And I think that is a very different relationship 
than even like your closest relationship in another aspect. So absolutely. I like my boyfriend and I have an amazing relationship. I love him. We've been together for five years. We have a house together. Like I can tell him anything, but I don't always want to be sitting there yabbering again about how, you know, I can't go to the gym because it's a Friday night, but I have a coach for that. I have a coach and I can boxer her and I can say, Hey, like, this is really what I'm struggling with right now. And so what that does is it brings that shame into the light. And all of a sudden it's not, this is a problem I have that sucks. I'm the worst. It's, this is a problem I have, but I want to take that road trip towards point B. I want to make the solution happen. Um, to give one like final example here, I had a client who came to me and we were setting up her core four habits, which is something that we do in our coaching program. And she was like, well, I have something that I've been thinking of that's really important to me, but I just like, don't know. And I was like, what is it? And she's like, okay, promise. Like you won't make fun of me. And I was like, I won't make fun of you. And she was like, I like really struggle with brushing my teeth at night or like on a day-to-day basis. And that's something too, that we're, you know, it's like shameful to be like, oh, I struggled to brush my teeth because everybody's like, oh, of course I brush my teeth. I'm so clean. Like I'm so clean. I'm so like, it's, there's a weird stigma there, but as soon as she brought it up in coaching, we had a conversation about like, okay, like what's stopping you from brushing your teeth right now? What might make it easier? And so we were able to like transform her whole relationship with that habit just by having that one conversation. And so that I think is, is the really, really cool part of coaching. That is so powerful. And it's actually really interesting. So I recently joined a a Facebook group that's like ADHD something. And there's actually so many people that don't brush their teeth on a regular basis or like struggle with that habit. And so I think that this is just a testament to the fact that like we think, and especially when it comes to things like emotional eating or stress eating or boredom eating. Or I remember when I was really struggling with my relationship with food, I would like sneak cookies because I didn't want someone to see me and be like, aren't you supposed to be the healthy one? And I'm like sitting there being like, all I want is an Oreo. And, and it's crazy how we convince ourselves that selves that like, I'm the only person that struggles with this thing there's two things to this is like, some of us are in communities in which you literally are the only person that struggles with that thing. But I think what we forget is that that doesn't mean that you are the only person in the world that struggles with that thing. And I think that this can kind of bring us to, you know, I feel like, I feel like we have to talk about social media to a certain extent, because (laughs) like this brings us to both the beauty and the like, fucked upness of social media is that it's like on social media, you can find groups for anything. You can find someone that is literally struggling with the exact same thing you are struggling with. But then here's the problem. You can find someone that's struggling with the exact same thing that you're struggling with. And the way that they deal with it is in an incredibly toxic way. And you can also find people that are struggling with whatever you're struggling with and are dealing it in a way that is really open and honest and involves a lot of like acceptance and like healthy behavior change and communication. And so I would love to hear what's like your approach to like, how do we filter those things out so that, you know, you and I met through social media, you've been an incredibly amazing like impact on my life, but I also could have probably ended up following someone that's like toxic behavior change. That's a total fucking lunatic, right? So the number one thing I would encourage you to do is take radical responsibility for your reaction to other people on the internet. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people on the internet that 
are like probably saying doing and doing things that they shouldn't be right. But I think the more that we can take the responsibility into our own hands, the more we're going to be able to figure out why that person feels quote toxic for us. And so for example, like I'll give a personal example. There are people that I have that I follow who probably for like a an older version of me would have been very toxic because they would have made me feel really, really bad about the habits that I wasn't doing and the food that I wasn't eating and the way my body didn't look. That's not their fault. That's not them being toxic. That's them living their life and me having a reaction to it because I am making a judgment about them being the goal or the should and me being not there yet. And so anytime I am, I call it like being poked um, because I don't, I think the word triggered is overused. And I think (laughs) triggered means like something entirely different in the world of like actual clinical psychology. Like if you're triggered, it means that you're at risk of like psychological or physical harm. So I really don't like to use that term, but I like the idea of like kind of being like poked pretty hard. And sometimes I'm on social media and I see something and it feels like a big old poke. And then I ask myself like, okay, why am I having this reaction to this person? And I think a lot of people will advise you like, oh, unfollow anybody who makes you feel bad. And I am sort of iffy about that advice because if you look at, um, if you look at how people deal with actual triggers, if you look at actual clinical psychology, one of the like leading ways to deal with something like that is exposure therapy is to actually expose yourself and learn to manage the reaction. And so I always tell like our clients and, and generally when I'm giving this advice, I'm like, yeah, if someone really, really is like hurtful to you with the things they're saying, or if it feels unsafe, then by all means unfollow them. But if you're poked by someone, I would spend a little bit of time investigating what are your thoughts? What are your perceptions? Why are you having that reaction, taking radical responsibility for those things? And then seeing if you can get to the point where like so-and-so doing, you know, getting up in the morning doesn't feel or talking about how amazing 5 a.m. is and how everybody should do it. That doesn't necessarily feel as much of a poke anymore because you are confident in your own 9 a.m. wake up. I really like that approach, Karin. I think that was actually, that was really refreshing to hear because I think that the easy way is to simply unfollow and is to, and I've, I've talked about this before too, where it's like, it can be up to you to curate a a social media feed that does sort of support the values that you uphold and, and show you things that, that support you right now. But I think that you, you brought up a really important point is that it is really empowering to take personal responsibility and be like, Hey, I'm following this girl that does these workouts that seem ridiculous to me. And it's really triggering because she has the abs that I feel like I want or whatever it is. And one option is to unfollow and simply not have to look at that. And I think that, but I I also think that when we are in a process of change, it is really, really helpful to understand like, what is this poking? It's hard. It kind of, you know, I, I'm like, there's a lot of thoughts going on here. And I really, I really, really appreciate that approach to it. When I think about a lot of this stuff is like, when are we ever done? Like I've had this conversation with clients recently where it's like, it feels like there's just so much to do. 
And how do we get to the point, or maybe if you want to share a little bit about your journey, like how did you get to the point where you just became okay with the fact that there always is going to be work to do? Because getting to that point, I think can be a really, really long process. And you hear people all the time. I think it's like similarly to like the consistency question or the consistency, like BS that everybody, it's not BS, the consistency stuff that everybody talks about. There's also the like, just, you know, embrace the process, trust the process. And personally, I've been really struggling with how to communicate this because I think that to a certain extent, like embrace the process, trust the process doesn't really mean anything. There has to be an understanding of like what it actually means to involve yourself in the process of becoming. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So my favorite question to ask people in this situation is when should Apple stop making a new iPhone? When should they say, uh, you know, iPhone 14 max, that's it for us. That is, that is the iPhone, right? Nor does Apple ever promise themselves like iPhone 16, that's going to be it. Like it, there's not going to be another model after that. Like that's the end point. That doesn't happen. Right. And we don't expect, like, I always expect that every couple of years, there's going to be a new iPhone that I'm going to want. And it doesn't mean that I don't like my current iPhone. It doesn't mean that my iPhone right now, like I just switched from like 14 to 6, 12 to 11. Like, I don't even know. Who knows what number they're on at this no. point. <laughs> and there are things that I love about this phone. And there are things that I loved about my old phone, right? Like this one has these weird notifications going on at the bottom. Don't love that yet. And my old one had the notifications at the top, right? And so I think about it as like, regardless of whether we try or not, we are always updating. We are always getting a new version because the circumstances around us are always changing us. Change is the only constant in life. And so what I like to think about is that I would rather be intentional about that process. Like if I'm going to change and I'm going to grow and I'm going to adjust based on things that are happening in my life. I would like to at least have a hand on the steering wheel and help to steer that ship. And I can do that without believing that I need to get to the next version or that there is anything wrong with the version of me right now. It's just updates. And there are like, there are versions of the past me that I like want certain aspects back. And there are versions of the future me where things I love now won't happen. And then, so it's all, it's all neutral. It's not like there's an endpoint. And when we get to this magical self, we will be good to go. And then our entire lives will be happiness. Like that's not how it works. So what you just said right there holds so much parallel with a lot of the communication that I have with my clients around specifically body image, because I think that in like a lot of the narrative in, you know, most of us, probably most of you listening live in mainly Western culture. I think we might have some listeners from Asia um, tuning in. And, and so culturally things are always a little bit different, but generally there is some sort of like cultural pressure that we feel to look a certain way. And we start to take that on as we grow older, as like this, in this belief that like body image is inherent, that like my body should look a certain way. And we also hold on a lot of the time to like, I wish I looked like how I used to, or that I already look like how I'm going to. Mm -hmm. And so what you just said right there is exactly what I think I would love for everybody to start embracing, which is like, I think I did a post on this recently where it's like, 
there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to change your body. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the body that you're living in right now. Yeah. And so when it comes to actually convincing ourselves of these things, because like what you said makes total logical sense, but we also know that like, we are not logical. We're very emotional. And so mm-hmm. how do we reconcile that where it's like what Karen said makes so much sense, but like, I still emotionally don't believe it. Yeah. I think it's about figuring out what you do want to be believe, not necessarily what you don't want to believe. Right. And you can use like parallels from other areas, especially when it comes to something like body image. So one of the things that I do when I'm thinking about body image is I remember that body image like fashion is very impacted by trends. Okay. So I am wearing skinny jeans right now, according to, um, TikTok, that makes me very obviously out of style. Like no one is wearing skinny jeans anymore. You know what? I freaking love my skinny jeans. They feel great. I want to wear my skinny jeans and my knee high boots and my oversized sweater, just like I did when I was 22. And I think that looks awesome. And screw society for changing the perception of what's cute and what's not cute, because this is who I am. This is what I'm wearing, right? Which is why you see every generation stick with Like you see people in every generation stick with the fashion that they were like, that they grew up in with adolescence, right? And so I think about that and I'm like, why can't I apply the same thing with body image? Because body image trends have been like big butt, tiny butt, medium butt, apple butt. Like they're all there, there's like, you know, 25 different butt styles that have been popular in the past 15 years. So why can't I say, you know what? I'm going to keep my skinny jeans and I'm going to love, I don't even think I have like a specific style of butt, but like my butt is fine. Like I don't need to change my butt according to the trends. I don't need to buy flare jeans again because I had them in like third grade. Like, Don't even get me started on the low rise. Right, there's no, I will not go back to low rise. No, absolutely not. To- (laughs) like starving myself to look a certain way. No, we're, we're done. We're done. And so I think if you compare it to a different aspect of something that changes in our society, um, that can be really helpful. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I think also is like, if we go far enough back, like a lot of the narrative comes from like, well, fat isn't good. Like, I don't want to be fat. Like whatever it is, I can be anything, but I can't be fat. And there was for a very long time in our history, like being overweight was actually celebrated because it meant that you had money. It meant that you were successful and it meant that you had extra resources. And I think that if we can look at it like that, we can see that like literally any body shape at some point in history has been accepted. And the, and the fact is, is our bodies, no matter what, are going to look different. Just like back then when a larger body was celebrated because it showed that you had more resources or were wealthier. Like, And if you were a naturally slim person, probably didn't feel that great about yourself. And that over time will change just as much as we see. I mean, things just change so quickly now. Yeah. I did have a question. So I wrote down a couple of questions that are like, I need to pick Karen's brain about this. And one of the things um, I was reading recently about sort of like the tripartite model of perfectionism and I want, and, and it was looking at sort of like the difference between healthy striving 
and then an unhealthy level of perfectionism. And so I wanted to hear a little bit of your thoughts because I think that we often just like blanket label, like perfectionism is bad. You should avoid it. It's like, okay, cool. Well, how do we actually identify the difference between like, I'm holding myself to a healthy high standard and I am being a perfectionist. Any, yeah. any thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. I, you were like tripartite and I was like, what the, I've never, I, I was, li- I was just reading this yesterday. So it's very fresh in my brain. Um, <laughs> you probably no. studied it like years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I was like, what the, but then you said, so there are two different sort of types of perfectionism and there's what we are calling healthy perfectionism and what we're calling maladaptive perfectionism. And it actually connects back to the research on growth mindset and the research on mastery versus performance-based goals. So that's the difference between like, I need to get an A on this test because anything less than an A is bad. And I need to get, or I want to get, I'm shooting for an A on this test because I'm really trying to get better at math. And that would be, you know, I'm like, this is a skill development scenario, right? And so in some cases, shooting for perfectionism is actually healthy because it's us moving towards something. It is motivating for us. It feels good. But perfectionism becomes maladaptive when it's actually about, I have to perform this way, otherwise something bad will happen. Um, And when it is very, very focused on specific outcomes and when it starts creating paralysis so that we are actually not taking action. So if you're avoiding activity or if you're feeling really obsessive, that's probably maladaptive perfectionism. But if you're perfectionistic about something and it becomes like a challenge to you, that can be really healthy. Yeah, I think there's a a lot of a lot to be said for being able to gauge like how something makes you feel and how it either supports or hinders your overall well-being. And I think it's sometimes it's really hard to step away from that because it's been what's quote unquote worked for you for a very long time. And sometimes it's hard to realize that like, even though it's sort of kept you together for a long time, there may be a better option that can actually support your continued growth. And I think there, uh, a question would be, because a lot of the time, I think that it's not that apparent that perfectionism and procrastination have like a common thread. And so I think probably the last question I I will ask you is how does perfectionism and procrastination tie into fear of failure? Because this is something that I've talked about before, but I think that you will probably be able to explain it in much better terms. Yeah. So I want you to kind of go back to maladaptive versus healthy perfectionism for a minute. I want you to imagine that you're seeing someone sprinting top speed, right? There's a very different like situation depending on whether that person is running away from a cheetah or running towards a finish line. And so in that, that is a great example of what's called stress appraisal, which is like whatever is, whatever is the reason you're running, does it feel like a threat or does it feel like a challenge, okay? I bring that up because if the thing that you're running for, if it feels like a threat, then you are putting yourself in fight or flight. But what most people don't know is it's not just fight or flight. It's actually fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. And freeze is one of the instincts that is underlying our perfectionism. 
So you are running away from, you're like, I can't mess this up. I have to do this right. You're running away from the cheetah and you can't run anymore. So you freeze. And so then you're scrolling or you're eating or you're doing whatever in order to distract yourself and calm yourself down from that fight or flight state. And your brain is actually driving you towards your phone or your bag of chips or, um, you know, whatever else it might be, your, your brain is driving you towards that distraction because it needs you to be out of fight or flight. So that's actually a protective decision on your brain's part. And the only way we can reduce that procrastination is to get ourselves out of fight or flight mode. And the way we have to do that is to reduce the perfectionism. So we're viewing that thing as a challenge and not as a threat. Okay, I lied. I have one more question for you. And it's yeah. around acceptance. And I think that this is a great way to sort of finish off this chat because I know that acceptance is one of the pillars of your coaching approach. And I have talked about acceptance in many different realms on this podcast and with my clients. And I think the reason why I want to finish off with this is because you talk about how acceptance is a key part of sort of preparing yourself for the, the process of change. And we, t- we touched on this a little bit earlier when we talked about like the shoulds and the like, and getting stuck with things. And, and so when it comes to acceptance, I think we have sort of a misconception that acceptance is letting go. Mm-hmm. And so how can we reframe acceptance so that we can actually understand how it does support us in the process of change? Yeah. So I would even, if you're having trouble with acceptance, so let's say that you um, you don't want to be a person who's an emotional eater anymore. And you're, you know, you're being told like, you just have to accept that you're going to want that, that this is your instinct, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, no, I don't want to accept that. Start actually with the step before acceptance, which is pure neutral awareness. So that's like you just backing up from, ugh, why do I always want to emotional eat to, I want to emotional eat. I am feeling the craving to emotional eat. It's neither good or bad. Yes or no, no, like there's no, it's not acceptance. You're not saying it's okay. It's all good. This is normal. You're not there yet. You're just saying this is what is happening. And so a lot of times our advice is like, be positive or accept yourself or whatnot. But what we actually need to do before we even get there is we just need to observe. We just need to neutrally state what is it that's going on because that sort of dissipates to go back to earlier that dissipates some of the shame we're focused on the facts and from there we can eventually get to the stage where you're like i'm pretty neutral about this and that neutrality actually sort of molds into acceptance yeah that specifically when it comes to something like body image is so incredibly powerful especially like if you're someone that stands in front of the mirror and you're like i have such a big butt or whatever like yeah. even just standing there and being like i have a butt like that in itself can completely change the way that you feel about the action that you're doing and set yourself up for, you know, people talk so much about like body positivity and love your body. And, and it's like, well, if you're at a point where you are literally standing in front of the mirror and you're like, I hate my body, telling someone to just love their body is not an actual helpful thing for them to do because it's a, it's a really big jump. Like in that specific example, I know has been really powerful for a lot of the clients that I work with, like being able to just get in front of the mirror and be like, I have a body, I have arms, like I have a face. And it sounds again, like some of the stuff we've talked about, it can sound silly, but it is incredibly helpful for helping you get yourself started and like get the ball rolling in the direction you want to go. Yeah. And one, one last note on that. Remember that all 
adjectives are judgments. And so if you want a way to catch your own judgment, just literally write down whatever the thoughts are in your head and then cross out the adjectives. Because if you look at like, even like, let's look at my arm, right? If I'm sitting next to a toddler, I might like hold my arm out and be like, my arm is so big compared to yours. And if I'm next to like my uncle who like runs a construction business, I might look and be like, wow, my arm is really freaking small compared to yours. And my arm is not big or small objectively. It is big or small comparatively. So if you take the adjectives out of your vocabulary, you will immediately reach a more neutral perspective because the adjectives are what's like providing the value or judgment. That is the way the English language works. I love that. I love that. Karen, I want to hear from you because I think that like you are a person that is so much, like you give so much information to people on the internet. But also I think people forget sometimes when they hear someone that like, I have a PhD and I do this and I'm a CEO and whatever. I know that for me, it's been really cool to be able to connect with people and share more about like who I am. So what are like three fun things that you wish people knew about you? And then we'll wrap up. Ooh. Um, okay. So one thing is that I have like an averse reaction to anything other than low stakes television. Like even sometimes like great British bake off, I like will leave the room because it's too anxiety inducing for me. I cannot watch television. I hate it. I always have hated it. Literally the only thing I can watch is like low stakes cooking shows, master chef, that kind of stuff. Anything else? I can't even be in the same room with it. Like my boyfriend will turn it on and I'll be like, I have to get out of here if you're going to watch your scary show. Um, so that's one thing that I, that I don't think people know about me. Um, the second thing is that I, um, I have a very weird, like family dynamic. My parents are divorced. They didn't get divorced until I was like, I had left high school. Like the day that I graduated high school, my dad like moved out. Um, literally the same day. So we, I have a very weird, like kind of all over the place family dynamic. So for example, for Christmas for this year, we are going to Pennsylvania and then Indiana and then Stockholm, Sweden, which is where my dad lives now. So, um, that's another thing. And then the third thing is that I love all things funfetti. Like my boyfriend actually bought me funfetti flavored, um, hard cider the other day, which was gross. Don't recommend. Yeah. That sounds pretty disgusting. Yeah. No, it was like that. <laughs> fake birthday cake taste they put in protein powder. And so I was like having like awful flashbacks to me, you know, like having my diet culture history and eating those like awful birthday cake, like protein. Yeah. Bars. Um, but in general, anything funfetti, anything with rainbow sprinkles, I'm all about it. I love it. I love it. That's so fun. That's the first time I've actually ever asked someone this question on the podcast. And I think I'm going to keep doing it. You so should. I think you, we just started a tradition here. And oh. so Karen, where can people find you? Yes. So um, if you go to bodybrainalliance.com, that is our website. Um, and then if you follow me on Instagram, it's at PhD. Um, if you're looking for a place to start, we have a free resource called Future Self Mapping, which is like your, it's a guided mini course that takes you through the process of choosing your core four values and your core four habits. So I would start there. And then if you are interested in giving me your money, <laughs> you can look at our Meaningful Mornings course or Change Academy membership. So Change Academy is a monthly membership. Um, I think Jillian has a affiliate code that she can give you. I um, do. And it is a monthly membership where we uncover a different change topic. So kind of like what we did today, but way more in-depth slides going along with everything. Very, very niche focused on a certain topic. 
Um, and we do it every month. So super fun. Yeah. So I will add the link for change Academy in the show notes. Um, and I, anybody listening change Academy is so awesome for someone that struggles to focus on something for a very long time. I actually get very into the change Academy, uh, workshops. So I'm very excited for the next one. I can't wait. And Karin, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome. I, I know you have a lot going on, so I really appreciate you making the time and I can't wait to re-listen to this myself, actually. Super fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bite Size Nutrition Podcast. If you are not already following, please hit subscribe on the platform of your choice. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, take a moment and leave a rating or a review. Honestly, this is probably the most helpful way you can help other people find the podcast. And personally, it means more than you know. So thank you. Thank you for listening and hope to see you again next time.